friends, you're listening to Make Out Already, a romance podcast. If you're a diehard smooch, you've probably already heard this episode. We are reviewing the 2018 Netflix movie, The New Romantic. It's a romantic dramedy that focuses on sugaring. So we thought, who better to bring in than a residence expert than PhD candidate Shauna Falcons? We are re-releasing the episode because she is now Dr. Shauna Falcons, PhD. So we hope you enjoy the episode and let's celebrate Shauna. So Meg, tell us about The New Romantic. Sure. So the movie came out in 2018 and it's an hour and 40 minutes long. It stars Jessica Barden, Camila Mendez, and Brett Deer or Dyer. We don't know how to say his name. <laughs> no, we do not. No. It follows the story of a college student named Blake who is in undergrad for journalism. And she writes for the school paper where she has a rivalry with a fellow student named Jacob, who is played by Brett Deer Dyer, who Liz and I have very highly divergent opinions on. Based off of his character on Jane the Virgin, Michael, who I am not team Michael. Sorry. <laughs> I love him. I think he's adorable. And he made this movie for me. So whatever. <laughs> but um, so her column in the paper, which is focused on sex, love and romance, has become so boring. And she doubts if romance even exists anymore, that the editor is starting to cancel it. So she promises to try and spice it up which everyone doubts, including her best friend, Nikki, if she can actually do this. But she has a chance encounter with another student named Morgan, who kind of introduces her into the world of being a sugar baby. And Morgan herself has a successful business of her own, and she offers to kind of give Blake an entree into that world if she wants it, and Blake isn't really so sure about it. Um, but she goes to a Halloween party in April, which is like a very college thing to do. (laughs) And she ends up dressing up as the same Hunter S. Thompson character as Jacob, which kind of like draws them together and they do shots and they decide, okay, let's get out of here and hook up. But they go to her place and he doesn't have a condom. So the encounter fizzles out pretty quickly And after this kind of, like, lackluster hookup, Blake decides that she's going to try this um, arrangement of being a sugar baby. And she's going to become the story, which is a very, like, gonzo journalism style thing. And she's going to enter into an arrangement with Ian, who is an older professor who propositioned her through uh, Morgan. So she goes on a date with Ian to work out the details of the arrangement, and he clarifies that he doesn't have a real girlfriend because he doesn't want all of the negatives that kind of go with being in a real relationship, uh, or at least like a not economic transactional relationship. And he asks Blake what she wants out of the arrangement. And she at first doesn't really want anything, but then she says romance is what she wants, which I think is... She just wants romance. I think is idiotic personally <laughs> and we'll talk about that later. Um, so the arrangement starts that way and it proceeds mostly without a hitch for a while. And Blake's kind of like wondering how she's so okay with it. Um, and she's like, anyone else who saw us would think that we were just 
falling in love, going on a date. Except that he's like 30 years older than her. Well, maybe 20 years older than her. Um, so then one day Ian shows up at her apartment to like last minute ask her to go to a wedding with him. And he brings her this diamond tennis bracelet, which is super expensive. He says that it's conflict-free, 100% organic, vegan diamonds, which was <laughs> yeah. kind of cute. Yeah, it was really pretty funny. Um, and the wedding turns out to be actually one of Morgan's clients. Uh, he's the groom. And after the ceremony, during all of the madness of the reception, uh, he kind of hits on Blake pretty aggressively. And it makes Blake start to question everything about the arrangement, like whether um, she feels good about it. So she seems pretty shaken. She leaves the wedding without saying anything to Ian. And but then like the next day shows up at his house to try to apologize Mm-hmm. And he is not having it at all. He says she can't just show up at his house because that's not the deal of their arrangement. But he had just done that to her. He showed up at her apartment to ask her to this wedding without being announced. So, Which and- sets up a very clear power imbalance that it seems that Blake wasn't aware of, which was that he is the boss. She is the employee. He is the client. She is providing a service. Right, right. And that really kind of starts to sour Blake on the whole thing but she goes on another arranged date with Ian later where he seems basically ready to forget the whole thing and just move on but she can't really forget she doesn't really seem to be enjoying the date um and she wants the date to end early but Ian kind of insists that the date go on and that she go home with him and despite her not really wanting to and seeming like pretty upset, uh, they still have sex afterwards. Um, so early the next morning, she leaves his house and accidentally gets locked out without any of her stuff and only wrapped in a sheet, a bed sheet. So she is like walking home or riding home on her bike, rather, and she runs into Jacob, who thinks she has just left this toga party that he was at which is very convenient for her that like multiple people are out in the street and only sheets as well (laughs) um but he sees that she's upset and wants to comfort her and he takes her to this really sweet little breakfast at a diner that sort of becomes an actual date which is nice and i'm hoping that won you over to that character a little bit more it did and the date itself was a very obvious intentional contrast to the date that she had just been on with Ian yes for sure so she goes back to her apartment afterward and then later uh, Ian shows up to drop off her stuff and he has discovered that Blake's been secretly writing an anonymous column about their arrangement without him knowing so he's very upset by this and he threatens her. He's like, I will destroy your name before you even have one. You need to delete this column. And oh, were you going to say something? I was going to say he also revokes the letter of recommendation that he had signed for her for this journalism grant that she's trying to win. He didn't even read the letter or yeah. write the letter or read her writing samples. He just put his name on something that she wrote. Right, and that was the arrangement for her. Aside from romance, she had asked for this recommendation in exchange for her services, and she rendered her services, but he was basically revoking his payment for them. Um, 
So she's at this point where she's about to graduate. She wants to be a journalist and she has to decide whether or not she's going to publish the column anyway. And um, ultimately, after like thinking about it and talking with her friend Nikki, she decides that she's going to just sell that super expensive bracelet that Ian bought for her and she's going to publish the column anyway. And she starts um, publishing it under her actual name, which previously it had been anonymous. And Nikki had right. persuaded her to sort of embrace the scandal, to own it. Right. With a really lovely Jennifer Lawrence reference, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> so Blake goes on to graduate. And on the day that their graduation ceremony is going to be, Jacob summons her via text to the school of bleachers where he's trying to give her this grand gesture that sort of harkens to Sleepless in Seattle, which... um, He butchers it. Yeah, he butchers it. But, you know, she had told him that she loved that movie and he remembered it and he was trying to to make this grand gesture for her, which the movie starts with her basically lamenting that that is dead. So even though he butchers it, it lands. Yeah. It's still really sweet. And they kiss and they go on to the ceremony together. The end. It was a missed opportunity for him to do a 10 Things I Hate About You moment. Because, like, the bleachers are there. You know what I'm talking about when he sings to her? Absolutely. That scene yeah. is ingrained in my consciousness. And you're right. That would have been a better fit but I think they were trying to really harken back to the classic classics, maybe. Right, right. But yeah, definitely yeah. a missed opportunity. So I have some immediate thoughts okay. <laughs> on it, but I want to hear what you think first. Okay, so I like this movie. It had that dreamy, softly lit aesthetic that really resonates with me. It was very superficial. It felt like the themes that were explored were only on the surface level mm-hmm. as far as the themes of sex work and romance and power dynamics and relationships. And yeah, the characters totally were pretty two-dimensional, including the main character. And I think right. that they tried to embrace that, like the moment where she is trying on costumes and she's trying to be Little Red Riding Hood. That's very on the nose. A naive mm-hmm. young woman going into a potentially dangerous but exciting situation. Mm-hmm. And her friend dresses up as a manic pixie dream girl. And the Nikki character is written very much like a manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. The Hunter S. Thompson costumes were very on the nose. The professor... um. When you talk about your thoughts, I would love to hear, Ian, do we think he's a zaddy, yes or no? Um, I was going to say yes until their last date. The fact that she's, like, basically laying there sort of unresponsive and, like, tears running out of her eyes, even though she's trying to hide them, and Mm -hmm. he's still, like... Pumping away. Yeah, that was a big no-no for me. And Mm -hmm. obviously the fact that he wants to sort of blackmail her into silence Mm -hmm. about the arrangement. Like, he was equally part of the arrangement. So I don't really see how he feels entitled to do that. 
I think we can agree that he starts off with zaddy status that then gets revoked. Yeah, I fully, fully agree. And I fully agree with you about, like, I I just think the movie's trying to do too much Mm -hmm. in an hour and 40 minutes with not super well-developed characters. Like, in this hour and 40 minutes, they're trying to issue a commentary on the uselessness of the humanities majors and uh, what it feels like to be in college uh, commentary on student debt, the Me Too movement, online dating, and sex work, which should be like an hours long movie in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I think. I I just felt like they were casting like a really broad net. Yeah, I do think that there's something to be said for trying to do a lot in a small amount of time and making big heavy themes accessible so it's kind Mm -hmm. of a lot to start thinking about even if it doesn't come to any conclusions because i don't think that the movie comes to any conclusions about sex work bad uh romance dead Mm -hmm. we see the morgan character she is very happy with her lifestyle and it works for her yeah she is living her best life uh so i think that it doesn't try to pretend to be more than it is. The question is if it's enough for you as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just, maybe we can talk about our swiping on this movie. Like, would you swipe right on this movie? Like as a recommendation to other people. So swiping right is yes. And swiping left is no thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am from before times. <laughs> or like BC. <laughs> I, I am BT before Tinder. I think that I would swipe right on this one. I enjoyed it. Okay. I thought it was a good way to kill a little less than two hours. Yeah. Yeah. I. I there were some things that I really did like about it. I really liked all of the references to other rom-coms like some of the og rom-coms like obviously we have the sleepless in seattle moment but then there's that nora efron montage with the police officer Mm -hmm. i loved that little moment of like magical realism type thing and then i also loved when ian gives her the bracelet and there's like that pretty woman moment where he tries to snap the case shut yeah, she's like reaching in. Yeah, she's reaching in for the diamond tennis bracelet and he like snaps the lid on her fingers and it's like, ha ha ha, like you're calling back to this other arrangement. Um, but obviously the outcome is much different in this plot line. Very, very different. So Do you, you would to... swipe left on it. I don't know. That feels so harsh. Like I'm not saying I regret watching it. And I think it was, like, a decent movie. It just wasn't a great movie. So I don't know if I would heartily recommend it to someone else. It did make me think, though. Okay. So It made me think about, like, my impressions of, like, what a sugar baby is and how different is that really from the way that a lot of people date. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a moment where... Blake is in a public restroom and she hears these overhears these girls talking about her column who they know it's her column, even though it's written anonymously. 
and like one of them asks the question like oh how different is it from how we normally date she's like I stayed with Tim when I wanted to break up with him because uh, I needed Netflix (laughs) I wanted to finish a show so it's like everybody can kind of have these arrangements but like is it the problem that it's so defined or that the woman in the situation is like owning her power as the Cami Mendez character says I think that the movie definitely made me think of how different a arrangement is from a relationship that is developed organically because for some people one of the five love languages is gifts mm-hmm. and in most relationships there's someone who earns more money than the other person right so right. the element of one person taking care of another person is not the part that I think is scandalizing to people or maybe it is but those people aren't really looking at their own relationships and seeing how these sort of transactional situations happen sure even if they're not spelled out in a contract Mm -hmm. I think that what is uncomfortable for me is the imbalance of power the way that it was Mm -hmm. portrayed in the movie how she thought that it was mutually beneficial and that he could lay out his terms but she could also lay out her terms and it seems like it was disproportionate like she was underpaid for her services is how if you looked at it purely as a business transaction she wasn't getting as much out of it as she felt like she was expected to put in Mm -hmm. and that can happen in any relationship as on emotional terms like people can feel like there's an imbalance of how much they give emotionally to a relationship but uh sure i i know i'm going all over the place right now but it i wonder if these relationships ever or often like what is the percentage of sugar baby relationships that turn into non-arrangement relationships hmm yeah i wonder if there's data on that the very first time that i heard about sugar babies was an article where a woman talked about it in a way that basically it sounded like the guy was just her boyfriend at this point mm-hmm. and they had a relationship that had evolved beyond the terms of the agreement so i'd be curious how often that happens yeah so meg we pretty much covered a lot of our grievances but did you have any additional grievances oh you know i do okay let's hear them okay well i have two like kind of petty ones and then one very like major one one is that there's a random unnamed character who appears twice that's like I thought was maybe one of their her roommates but like uh we don't really see him in their apartment again do you know what I'm talking about he doesn't have a name man bun yeah yeah so man bun gets mentioned when they're standing outside of the club oh that's we're meant to understand that that's man bun yes I think so she I yeah She met him at the club and then hooked up with him and then they still dated, but I don't know if he was ever named or not. 
I don't think so, but he's like in the final scene where they're running off to graduate together. Like, mm-hmm. okay, all right, that's fine, I guess. I'm gonna look up the movie on IMDb to see if he did get a name, at least in the credits. Oh, yeah, I'd be curious to know. What was your next grievance? This one it has to do with um, when Blake and Jacob go back to her apartment after the costume party and they're going to hook up and they don't because he doesn't have a condom. And then it's just like really fizzled out very rapidly. My question is, what sex columnist would not have any condoms in her bedroom? The kind that does not get any kind of action and really (laughs) probably doesn't want any kind. Yeah, I just find that so annoying. (laughs) Like, I just find that so stupid. I know that's like, they're not meant to hook up yet at that point, but I don't know. That was just very annoying to me. I guess she either ran out. We know that's probably not the case because it's established that she has very uneventful love life not a lot of activity happening right right and then my last one has to do with their whole arrangement in general and I know that she's like naive and just kind of jumped into this in a fit of trying to like be a gonzo style journalist but she didn't really make any effort despite watching like some YouTube videos to actually clearly lay out what the arrangement was with Ian. It doesn't seem like she doesn't ask for anything in particular until like after they've already proceeded with the arrangement for a while. Mm -hmm. She says she just wants romance, which I think is so dumb because like, that's what he clearly came to the table saying like, She's like, well, why don't you have an actual girlfriend? He basically says he doesn't want to do that. So for her to say that's what she wants, like, you know, that's not going to happen. And did they lay out the terms under which they contact each other? It doesn't seem like they did because they both just show up at each other's places and it goes awry. So I just, I feel like that was super duper naive. And I know that she is naive, but if they show her like doing any kind of research or her talking to Morgan about what her situation is like, it seems like she would take some of that to heart. I think that one of the themes that the movie plays with is expectation versus reality. And Mm. I, it's pretty clear that they didn't lay out what the terms were that very first gift she was surprised by. Right. You're right. So I think that, when she says romance, I think that they're both separating, they're both defining their idea of an ideal relationship as excluding the texting and the fighting and the being in each other's lives and knowing about each other's families. I think that both of them can do without that. So when she says romance, I think she does mean the sweeping gestures but I think that her expectation is that there might be something more behind it than just this is payment and that yeah yeah, she went in with the wrong expectations because that's not what this is about right right yeah I just I guess I just find some of her decision making very frustrating but I have to tell myself like this is a character that is 
you know, young in college, despite thinking that she's worldly and having this sex column, doesn't really know that much about relationships, it seems. I think my grievance is why is that the thing she wanted to write about? Why is that the thing that anyone would let her write about considering she doesn't have a love life to speak of? Yeah. That leads me actually to another grievance, (laughs) which is their school paper. Is it only two reporters? And like the like you only ever see her and Jacob and then someone who's an intern who I guess has like an article or two to write and then the editor. So that's like three people and the editor comprise this newspaper. That's not and what my school column. paper was like. No, that's not at all. Like how quiet and small that room was. I feel like they just filmed those scenes in like a day while they had those other two actors and just like churned them out and that was it. I mean, unless they're just in a very tiny school where their journalism program is, like, two people. But that was also one of the things that bugged me. And there would definitely – I know that he was a TA, but Mm -hmm. there's definitely some kind of faculty advisor on newspapers. So, like, I don't even think they had computers. I I don't remember (laughs) seeing one. They were just in that little room. They would come, they would banter, and then they would leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, wait a minute. No. You have two reporters and one of them just writes a terrible sex and love column? Like, no, that's not a paper. <laughs> it would have made more sense if it were some kind of, you know, website, upstart news source that the TA was doing some kind of thesis project. I don't know. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to give it a benefit of the doubt at least at first, that that was the situation. But then they clarified that it was, in fact, the school newspaper. So that, yeah, that's the last one. And now I'm going to stop complaining, (laughs) despite what it seems like, that I will never stop. (laughs) Okay, so you'll stop complaining, and I will start interrogating, because I have some discussion questions for us. Oh, okay. Feed me. Okay, so we already know what you thought about the movie, so let's cross that one out. (laughs) Is this a romance? I think not. Because if we look at the parameters that are set down by RWA, Romance Writers of America, there are two primary ones. There are lots of conventions of the genre, which I'm sure you are way more knowledgeable on than I am. But the two main things are that it features a central relationship and that is the romantic relationship that is the central like feature of the piece and two that it ends in a happy satisfying the couple is together way and we do have that ending but i don't think that romantic relationship between blake and jacob is the central relationship of the movie i think it's her relationship to herself yeah that's a good point i thought that you were going to say just on the basis that her relationship with Ian had more screen time than her relationship with Jacob. Because if it were kind of even, then you could make the case that it still ends up technically being a romance. Mm -hmm. I do think that the relationship with Jake was central. It was a touchstone for reality, for her checking in on what it was that she actually wanted out of life Mm -hmm. and out of relationships. Uh, In the strictest of terms, I'd agree that this is not a romance. It's more 
romantic dramedy. Mm-hmm. So it can have, so it's romance as an adjective and not a noun. Yeah, which I mean, that's that's the title, yeah. right? And they do invoke a lot of these classic romances, like I was saying, with the movies that they touch on. But also, she spends a fair amount of time talking about Jane Austen mm-hmm. as well. So it's definitely romantic. But I don't, yeah, I agree. I don't think it fits that genre to a T. It kind of fits this subgenre that is deconstruction of the romance genre and of a romantic comedy specifically. Uh, mm-hmm. Like with that Rebel Wilson movie that I still haven't seen but really want to see called Isn't It Romantic? Oh my gosh. I love that movie. You saw I cannot it? believe we haven't seen it. Yes, it's so good. I-, I was looking forward to see if it was on Netflix or Hulu or somewhere because I thought that would be a good one for us to watch. And I, I might have to rent it. If it got such a ringing endorsement from you, <laughs> I... Yeah, I mean, it, I loved it. It does have the lesser Hemsworth in it, which is a For strike sure. against it from the mm-hmm. get-go. But I, I'm very intrigued by that one. But since the lesser, the Hemsworth. lesser Hemsworth, I don't, but not I don't think the I least can, Hemsworth though. The least Hemsworth have, is the dude from the Good the, Place. <laughs> um, what's his name? Luke hemsworth isn't he like the older one he does like travel to australia oh you're talking about the real one okay yes yeah not the (laughs) not the one on the good place okay i didn't even know there was another one irl so he is the least hemsworth yeah that one's got the lesser one i don't know that i came up with the lesser hemsworth term i'm pretty sure i saw that somewhere but yeah i've I've always thought of liam as the lesser hemsworth yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> so as far as a deconstruction of romance, if it fits into that subgenre, mm-hmm. are there any tropes that you could spot, whether they were presented ironically or sincerely? Well, I mean, their arc is kind of, uh, I'm going to say there. I mean, Blake and Jacob's arc is kind of like enemies to friends, to lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What what do you have in mind? Well, I also spotted enemies to lovers. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a coming of age story, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a romance trope. It's in every genre, but I think that romance is often a coming of age tale. So it's a it's like a new adult yeah. romance, which is. Mm-hmm a subgenre of romance that focuses on college age, yeah, early 20s characters. Yeah, like your emerging adulthood stage of life. We had the grand gestures. We had, in a way, office romance. Mm, okay. Yeah. In a way, boss romance. Very literally, with Ian being her boss. Sure. Mm-hmm. It became more obvious toward the end that that's what it was, that she was expected to provide a service mm-hmm. right. that met his expectations. Right. Uh, so I think that that's about it. I think that some of the character arcs felt very familiar. Okay. Like, for example, like Nikki playing the best friend role. She yes. was. Oh, she, I feel like I've seen that character in 
romantic comedies and in romances a lot of the supportive best friend and she's a character who if this were a romance series you could see her getting her own spin-off yeah yeah and you know what i think i actually would enjoy this story a lot more if it was a series and if it was a book i just think if we got a little bit more of like what was going on internally with the characters Mm -hmm. I would feel like it had a lot more depth to it. Yeah, it definitely... I, I don't feel like I know any of the characters well or know what they're about. Mm-hmm. The deepest that we got with Blake was that she was kind of cautious in life and that her parents were divorced. Right. So I don't know if you're ready to move on at all or if you have more you wanted to say, but while we're talking about the characters mm-hmm. and how little we know about yeah. them despite that, do we have a worse half of this pairing for you? For me, I have a worse half for both pairings. And for both pairings, <laughs> I would say it's the dude. So Ian, uh-huh. obviously, because of his predatory behavior toward the end. Mm-hmm. And Jacob, just because I find him grating. And toward the end, I think that he redeems himself as far as you see that he's a genuinely good guy and that the way that he's been antagonizing her has been his way of flirting. Uh But there wasn't anything about him that really made me swoon. Yeah. How about you? Wow. I I cannot believe how different (laughs) we feel about this. It's like unbelievable to me. (laughs) I didn't think about the Ian Blake pairing because I didn't really consider them a pairing Mm -hmm. like I I felt it was so transactional Mm -hmm. but I think Blake is by far the worst half of the Jake pairing okay she is just I find her to be so unlikable really (laughs) yes I just I find her mannerisms so annoying and her like self-obsession so annoying and she kind of and I might be over dramatizing this, but um, something we never so... ever do. <laughs> yeah, I'm not prone to do that at all. So when she and Jake go to hook up the first time, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have a contraceptive, did she really have to kick him out immediately? Like, did she have to be like, "You should go"? Like that just seems so cruel because he was like clearly very disappointed and still like. I don't know. But she seemed she doesn't owe him anything. Like they maybe all she wanted out of that was to hook up and hook up in a certain way with certain safeguards in place. And since that wasn't gonna happen, okay, bye. I mean you could say that it's yeah. kind of like mean, but she doesn't that guy isn't entitled to like hang out in her space. No, that's true. That is true. And I'm not saying she was, like, in any way obligated yeah. to continue to hook up and with And I know him. that like, that's I not think... what you're saying. But she was pretty, yeah. like, immature about it. Yeah. she. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought she could have been, like, a little bit more sensitive yeah. about the situation. Because, I mean, it's clear at that point that he likes Plus, her. they know each other. It's not like he's a dude who she's never going to see again that she could be like, okay, bye. She could be like, okay, well, um... This was fun. See you at work, I guess. You can, like, have a snack if you want. (laughs) Yeah. 
And then she kind of does a little bit of a like revenge porn thing by writing about the situation and making it clear like the editor even points out like you all were the only two dressed up in the same costume at that costume party like everyone at this very small school will know it was you two and she doesn't offer to change that detail no and the editor still runs it which is unbelievable to me but and he's like expressing that he's uncomfortable with it and she still is like haha sorry if it's awkward you know I had such a blind spot about that because I just thought it was funny and I didn't think about the fact that he did not want this aspect of his sexual experience to be put out there for the masses and it was just played for yeah, laughs he said, I'm not sensitive I'm just private and I'm like yeah like yeah. listen to this guy like why does he still like her after yeah. this I can't even that's a really good <sighs> point and I, I yeah. should have seen it because I did see it with Ian, where I could kind of understand why Ian was so hurt and angry about her writing this column about him without even telling him about it. Because I kind of wonder if she had told him, I'm writing about this in my column, and had been up front about it, would he have been okay with it? Could they have laid out some terms? Yeah, I... I don't know if we can know the answer to that just because, like you said, we don't know any of the characters Mm -hmm. very deeply, but I feel like it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. So I think that, you know, he's still not a great dude because of how he reacts, but I can empathize with him a little bit with, like, you know, if the roles were reversed, it would be like a she's all that situation. Like, am I a bet? Like, all these people know this thing about me and I'm in the dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that, like, the Jacob character is without faults in this. Like, there's a, a moment in which he's kind of shaming her for her arrangement. Like, he's like, cool scooter. How'd you mm-hmm. pay for it? And I, but I don't know that he necessarily means that as, like, shade about the arrangement so much as, like, trying to get her to think about whether what she's doing is what she wants to be doing or who she's becoming is who she wants to become. But I do think it comes from a place of jealousy because mm-hmm. obviously we know he likes her. I got jealousy. I got slut shaming. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, if this movie, we obviously had some different takes on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm one. Which we never which do. We, never do. <laughs> we always agree about everything. Uh, but <laughs> as far as positives go, do you have an honorary sizzle? I so do. And it kind of goes, crosses over into our like fan casting category okay. a little bit too. So I just would rather have the, have had this movie be about Kami Mendes character. Like, I want to know everything about her. I want to know about how she got into being a sugar baby. I want to know about her trips to Paris that she talks about. I just, I love her and I want more. I didn't get enough. She was so fabulous. The first time you see her on screen, she's wearing this fur coat at the liquor store. They're, the girls mm-hmm. are trying to find their IDs and she's like, can I just pay for this? Tries to cut them in line. Does not care. Yep. She's trying to buy champagne and then she buys a bunch of rolling papers and uh-huh. she's just very confident and at home in herself. And I mean, if 
I didn't think that there was a way to sensually flush a toilet. <laughs> but now I know that there is. Yeah. <laughs> she did that. Yes. So now I understand like, oh, like really there are some people who can just make anything hot. Yeah, and she's just, like, she is who I want the Blake character to be. Like, she treats it as a business. She's coming into her power, and she welcomes Blake into a situation where she could easily feel competitive. She's like, hey, cut off this life to this yeah. business. I would love to have you have make some money off of this. I would love to have you a know, colleague. And, yeah, exactly. And I just think that's just class. Yeah, she, she was a very <laughs> compelling character. I think that she is an obvious honorary sizzle and Mm -hmm. I would like to give it to her, but I also feel like I want to give some love to Nikki because that actress did Mm. a lot with a little because she could have very easily just been like both the manic pixie dream girl trope and the black best friend trope. Mm -hmm. But I was interested in her as a person and one of the faults of the movie is that I didn't get more of her as a person because she seems like she I I kind of love that she went into the club by herself when her friend was missing her ID (laughs) because (laughs) she's like oh yeah I I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna go yeah because the the cliche (laughs) best friend character who doesn't have anything of their own going on would be like oh yeah totally let's like not go Let's do our own thing. But she was just like, okay, well, I still want to have a good time. So see you at home. Yeah. 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 I love that. I loved her. I do think that's the fault of the movie is that I wanted more of all of the side characters, Mm -hmm. more so than I wanted out of the main characters. (laughs) The main character is kind of like a cipher who doesn't have a lot of strong qualities and anyone could kind of project on her whatever they want. Did you notice how many CW stars were in this? Yes. So River, the editor, is one, right? Was he on Riverdale? Or in a CW show? I thought he was. I recognize his face. Okay, let's look up his IMDb page. Uh, His name is Avon Jogia. And he... Oh, he was in Zombieland Double Tap. That's where I've seen him. Yeah, let's see. What else has he been on? Oh, he was on Victorious. That's funny. That yeah. Disney show. The one that Ariana uh, Grande it... was on. Oh, he was in Caprica. Yeah. He must have been a baby at that point. He's been in a lot of stuff. And he has a very recognizable mm-hmm. face. And they tried to make him, like, they tried to dowdy him up a little bit, I think. to make They him failed. <laughs> yeah, he was... It was like, oh, so he's just like a super hot model guy trying to play someone who's not a super hot model guy. Got it. Got it. Understood. Yeah, no, he, <laughs> there was nothing dowdy about him to me. The glasses were <laughs> really working for me. Uh, Chef so kiss. there was, uh, I don't think he was, it doesn't look like he was on a CW show. Haley Law, who played Nikki, she was on Riverdale. Brett Deer Dyer, he was on mm-hmm. Jane the Virgin. Neela Mendez, also of Riverdale fame. And not a CW star, but someone else who I did recognize. The guy who played Bobby, who was in an arrangement with Camila Mendez's character Morgan, and then uh-huh. got married yeah. at the end of the movie. But it 
was like totes cool for him to have arrangements. Oh, you know, that was another thing that just was like, okay, this is not how you do it. She was like, oh, it was cool. We have an open relationship. She's like, what? He's like, yeah, there was a book. I don't really remember, but it means we can hook up. Yeah, with other so he, like, okay, <laughs> he hasn't put any thought great. into this beyond like, I can bang lots of chicks. That's becoming a trope too, is like these faux woke, like, feminist quote unquote bros who want to have these open relationships but it's really just because they want to yeah hook up it's with like they, they want to it's like <laughs> other they want to exploit women's willingness to desire to be woke and progressive and open-minded mm-hmm. and it's more i think more of like a cool girl thing like oh i can totally be a cool yeah. girl and Open right. this thing up. I totally uh, so, yeah, Sebastian Pigott is his name, and he's been in some other things, but I recognize him from the excellent Canadian TV show Being Erica, which hmm. I highly recommend. It was on Hulu at some point. I don't know if it still is, but Being Erica is about a young woman whose life has just fallen apart, and she's not where she wants to be in her career, in her relationships, and she has a near-death experience from an allergic reaction, and this therapist guy shows up at her hospital bed and says that he can help her fix all her problems, and it turns out that he has time travel powers, so he sends her back in time each episode to a different regret that she has had in her life, and then she gets a do-over. And the results wow. of the do-over show up in her present-day life. So it's like she's slowly fixing her life from the past, one regret at a time. Mm-hmm. But then complications in the present ensue. And this uh, Sebastian Piggott actor, he plays a musician named Kai, who she falls for. And it turns out that he is also a time-traveling therapy patient. But he doesn't want to go back to the future so he is currently in her present his past refusing to finish out his regret because he just wants to live his life over again from that point yeah wow uh, that's a lot that's a lot that i just threw at you, <laughs> but yeah i i it took a turn i didn't expect with the time traveling i'm, I'm gonna be quite honest <laughs> It is good, very though. good. I, I enjoyed it very much. I think I've watched the whole series through twice before. But coming back to the discussion at hand. So we talked about honorable mm-hmm. sizzle and tropes. Obviously, the honorable sizzle, sizzle, we felt pretty strongly about those characters. Is there anything else yeah. that we want to talk about that came up with this movie? I guess I just want to touch on the whole sugar mm-hmm. baby thing. And and how the movie addressed it. And I feel like even though the sort of the moral of the story is that like this experience was not for the main character, it didn't seem like it was mm-hmm. demonizing that profession. And it made it very much seem a yeah. profession. Like not like some moral failing. Like there were YouTube videos of people being like, this is how you set up this business. This is what this business is. And obviously we have the Morgan character having that very clear attitude about it too. So it didn't seem to be demonizing that at all. Um, And I think that any like downfall that we had because of 
being a sugar baby is just because Blake probably was not very thoughtful going into it and didn't really set up boundaries at all. It felt like the, it was presented as pretty neutral and you could make your own decision about whether you thought that it was a good profession or an exploitative profession or some kind of moral aberration or whatever. It doesn't seem to force feed a view onto it unless you see Mm -hmm. the fact that he took advantage of her in a way that brings up some really uncomfortable consent issues uh i mean you could see that as like oh this is all all bad you could read the fact that bobby Mm -hmm. is kind of obviously kind of a scoundrel and he's one of morgan's clients you could read that as okay these men who are in these arrangements are all bad Mm -hmm. or you could also read it as like okay but one character was fine with it and she was happy so Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i think really you can project whatever your thoughts are onto this movie so liz while we're talking about sex work you know what i thought what did you think meg i thought you know we should just phone a friend Okay. I have a friend, Shauna, who is a professor in gender studies, and she's taught a course on sex and power, and she's doing her doctoral thesis on sex work. So, So Shauna. It's me. Hey, Shauna. It's Shauna. (laughs) So, you just finished watching the movie. What do you think? Just of the movie in general. We can talk about, you know, about the sex work aspect later. Okay, perfect. Um, I really enjoyed the movie. I'm definitely on a uh, binge-watching kick right now. And so just to have something to kind of sit down, it's, you know, a topic that I'm interested in. And I mean, I thought it was fun and cute. And I was, you know, rooting for her at points and annoyed with her at points. But uh, overall, I still thought it was, you know, fun. Yeah, me and Liz uh, disagreed a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She loved it and I was kind of annoyed by it <laughs> love is a strong word it was more like yeah, really I'd, like I'd, I'd hit that <laughs> i'd hit the movie i wouldn't marry the movie that's fair that's fair <laughs> yeah <laughs> so have you and your research done any like looking into the sugar baby arrangements um so i've done a little bit but i actually um had some students this semester who did a project on sugar babies and so I actually got to learn a lot more from them. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was an interesting portrayal for sure. But I was kind of um, interested in the whole, like, um, focusing on the relationship. I thought they did a decent job of being critical of the way that often sugaring is posited as the complete opposite of full service sex work or prostitution because of the relationship right the emotional aspect but in reality most full service sex workers do that emotional labor and they have those relationships like the a lot of their base comes from maintaining regular clients so um i think that's like Mm. that false division between sex workers that creates the hierarchy um Mm. yeah and did an okay job kind of trying to bring that in because she, you know, watches that video of the sugar baby being like, it's all about the emotions. And then she, mm-hmm. she realizes like, oh, like, am I allowed to curse? 
yeah okay. okay. she's okay. like oh shit like i'm in a relationship with this dude you know and yeah. it's not yeah right. so lots of thoughts for sure but the relationship but... isn't necessarily necessarily a balanced one no so I was wondering if you thought that it was possible for there to be a balance of power in mutually beneficial arrangements. Is it really mutually beneficial? Is it equally beneficial? Um, no. <laughs> Would be my... <laughs> <laughs> Say more. So that's my, um, like, yeah, definitely my simple answer. But, I mean, it's very complicated, mm-hmm. right? But I think that to imply that money equals full enthusiastic consent um, mm-hmm. is a problem and has definitely been theorized by a lot of uh, sex work scholars and sex workers who are scholars. And um, in that kind of relationship, there's still someone at the end of the day who has more money, more connections. And so even though it's transactional and, you know, everyone quote unquote agrees to the terms there's still an inherent difference in what's happening. Just like it would be like a CEO, right? In entering into some kind of transaction with someone who works part-time somewhere as, as an independent contractor and saying, you know, we're on equal footing. Well, no, they might know someone in government who could, you know, ruin someone's life, right? He threatened threatens to ruin her career. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that speaks a lot to, the kind of power that at least he thinks he has, right? And probably does have. Right, right. It's interesting what you said about money as implied consent, because we saw that in one of the last scenes of the movie where they have a sexual encounter that doesn't seem to be enjoyable for both of them, but she is probably obligated to go forward with it. Right. Um, I thought that the way the scene handled, like, not the scene, um, the movie handled consent was really interesting because they have that scene, right, with her and uh, Jacob, where it's, they're like, you good, you good, they're checking in on each other. It's like my example for a gender women's studies intro class dream, frankly, to be like, watch the scene from this movie. (laughs) Um, It doesn't have to be just like, check these boxes and sign here on the dotted line. Um, but then there is that scene with her and the professor and they show that she's upset and she's obligated. And I'm, um, when you research with sex workers and you interview them and like read the kinds of, uh, amazing articles and blogs that, you know, they're putting on the website or putting on the internet, trying to describe their work. Um, for some of them, they are put in those situations and for others, you know, they have the ability to say, whoa, no. Um, but she was young and a baby sugar baby, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I think um, in her situation, it's really terrible that he obviously took advantage of that. Because she should have been able to just say, take me home, right? Um, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That And the fact that she rendered the service that was part of the arrangement, but he revoked his payment yes. for it, which was the recommendation letter. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm really curious, Shauna, what you thought of the character of Morgan, because Meg and I stand the wait, who's Morgan. Morgan was the girl at the beginning who introduced Blake to Sherry. Yes. A hundred percent. 
because she says all the things that I like feel in my heart. Um, there's this <laughs> great hashtag um, from, oh, what is her name? Uh, Bardo Smith on Twitter. And it, she and some other women came up with this hashtag, give your money to women. Um, <laughs> to like talk about the unpaid emotional labor that women do and even the unpaid sexual labor and erotic labor and I she's a financial dominatrix and I just love it and so when Morgan was talking about like well I'm not in debt and um, you know I know what I want I guess I want everything I was like yes yes you do go get it <laughs> <laughs> and she was telling well I was talking to Liz about this earlier like she was welcoming Blake into an opportunity a financial opportunity and not pitting herself in competition against her like at all and encouraging her to step into her power and for her the power was like acknowledging that she's attractive and can use that as a business tool but it was still you know about empowerment 100 percent 100 percent because even though there is that aspect of like the hierarchy that can come out like having spent years on sex work twitter or Twitter at this point now <laughs> um it is an amazing community and there truly are so many more sex workers who are um empowering of each other and trying to build that community and put out you know type up guides on how to get started and how to be safe and um I know it's pretty amazing so she's definitely a great representation I want to know more about the people who wrote this movie because I feel like the- you know, they mm-hmm. did a good job with most of it. So Shauna, I want to know, and was hoping you talk to our listeners a little bit about your research and your work in this field. So interestingly enough, uh, research is about these questions of power and consent and money and emotional labor. So I do um, ethnographic research with uh, sex workers, specifically online sex workers, so cam girls um, or cam models and um, phone sex workers, uh, clip producers. So just any sex worker who uses the internet as her main source of income. Not really, I haven't really interviewed anyone that does stuff in person, so the direct sex work. Mm -hmm. But um, my main research question is just, Thinking through all of the different narratives that we have in our society about what is consent, you know, is, you know, we get very bogged down in the question of is sex work empowering? Is it um, oppressive? Right. And I think that we're trying to move past that both within feminism in the academy and within public feminism. And so my project really wants and I hope to center sex worker voices and focus on their experiences um, as online sex workers and, you know, see the kind of issue, the political economy issues that happen when, you know, it ultimately at the end of the day is a, um, it's a business, right? It exists within capitalism. Mm -hmm. And so, there are mm-hmm. some people who are going to be able to be, quote unquote, more successful than others because they 
are white and able-bodied and cisgender and conventionally attractive and all of these things. Um, so I want to mm-hmm. talk about those kind of disparities, the institutional and structural inequalities that exist. But then I'm also looking for those moments of resistance, right, where um, queer and disabled um, and women of color and sex work find these markets where they end up um, getting money, like getting men to give them the money they deserve um, and that they wouldn't get necessarily in another job. And so um, that's been really, it's really been enlightening and changed how I've thought about things a lot in the past couple of years. So that sounds so fascinating. And I'm really excited to hear more about your work in the future. Uh, When is your, when are you completing your dissertation? What's that process Um, like? So I'm currently um, still gathering research and um, I've started the writing process. There's some things you can write, you know, like the lit review and all that good stuff. But Mm -hmm. I, I'm getting ready, hopefully, if I get my RRB back in the next couple of weeks, to uh, distribute a broad online survey to sex workers, asking them the kinds of demographic and financial information that I think will really provide those numbers uh, that people need when they're looking at um, those kind of wide sweeping, you know, uh, conclusions about an entire industry. So I'm excited to get that feedback. There's only been one survey done like it, but it was done in the UK. And so this will be the first one like it in the US. That's yeah, I'm amazing. pretty excited about it. So we'll see how it goes. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? So about you the best work? place is definitely on Twitter. Um, and my handle is at Shauna, S-H-A-W-N-A underscore Felkins, F-E-L-K-I-N-S. And I... Um, I have a private account just because I don't need people from my hometown being like, why are you posting about hookers? You know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll definitely accept you, though, if you want to follow me. So, <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks again, Shauna. We are so glad that you could be on Thank you today. all so much. It was wonderful. So we like to bring in a food and drink pairing element to our reviews. So for this one, Meg, what is the recipe that you are making, have made, want to share with our listeners? I want to share a recipe for uh, small batch cupcakes. So that it's actually perfect for right now when we're all like stuck under quarantine and some ingredients are rather limited. So this Recipe makes two vanilla cupcakes, which harkens back to um, when Nikki and Blake enjoy some cupcakes that Nikki has secretly laced with Molly. So these will not have Molly in them, but they will be delicious. (laughs) Two delicious vanilla cupcakes hold the Molly. Exactly. (laughs) What about you? What do you got? So I'm going to make a float, which I'm calling the Hopeless Romantic Float. With mm. Fentiman's Rose Lemonade, which I got at Target. Uh, it's absolutely delicious. It has a very, like, slightly rose flavor that's very refreshing. And it's pink and sparkly and pretty. And I thought that it would go well with two scoops of vanilla ice cream. Because we're a romance podcast, so it's usually two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could not get ice cream because 
we are in a quarantine, so I would have to place my grocery order a few days in advance and was limited to shelf-stable things and things that I had on hand. So I'm going to try to make the ice cream with just plain milk and sweetened condensed milk. Okay. And then put it in the soda for a float. And I'll let you guys know in the show notes where we include the recipes, how it turned out. I can't wait. I love that lemonade. It's so good. It's delicious. So I think that just about wraps up our recap of The New Romantic, but we have a new episode that'll be dropping to review a book next. Right, Liz? Yes, we are going to be reading Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert, who is an absolute rock star of the genre right now. Everyone is obsessed with her. I've read one of her books. She is widely self-published, and this is her first traditionally published book, and we're super excited to share it with you. I totally can't wait. So until then, after you've listened to this episode, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And follow, follow us, us on-, on Instagram. That's right. Follow us on Twitter, too. We'll have all those links in the show notes for this episode. So until then, air kisses. Mwah.